Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. You have a Bible, Galatians 6 is where we're going to be tonight, so you want to go to that, uh, put your thumb in it. And then I'm going to come right back to Galatians 6. We're going to hang out there. I'm going to finish our series in Galatians tonight. Chad's done a phenomenal job unpacking what the book's really about. Man, it is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, Paul, he doesn't really pick up on anything too new in this uh, portion of the scripture. Um, But I'm excited. It's a true honor to be able to share with you tonight uh, God's word. So before we get there, um, I would just say I'm 28 years old. And I would say there's only a few moments that have legitimately changed my life. Um, We all have a few. I wouldn't say they're like legit. I mean, I'm not trying to be like super dramatic up here. I'd probably say I'll share three tonight. I brought a couple of pictures. The first one, it's an obvious one. Go ahead and show that. I got married. I've been married uh, almost four years. You're clapping because you know my wife and she's awesome. That's why you're clapping. Um, She's amazing. Uh, Marriage is awesome. But that's an obvious one. You know getting married, like, my life's going to change. Like, I'm going to have a roommate all the time now of the opposite sex. This is a completely different way of living. Um, That one's obvious. Go ahead and show the next one. This is another big one that changed in my life. There's the picture. I'm actually going to show you guys the next picture as well. So go ahead and show the next one. So there's a big difference here between the two. Go back. Go forward. And you guys think it's the dog. It's the mustache. Um... (laughs) I'm joking, uh, but actually, like the mustache low-key, it doesn't make the top three. It may make the top like 50 of my life, but go ahead and show the next one. This would be the last one I'm going to share with you guys. You can't see uh, the difference. Yeah, I played baseball in college. Um, It was really average, to be honest, but (laughs) what I want you to see in that picture, you can't actually see, Um, but it had the biggest change in my life. The most implications of my life, but you can't see it because three weeks before that picture was taken approximately was the decision to follow Christ. And I did not even begin to understand all the implications that that had on my life. Like when I came to an understanding of who Jesus is and trust him for the forgiveness of my sins, I thought, well, I'm going to change a little bit, but let me tell you. The gospel truly changes everything in our lives. I start there tonight because tonight's message, it can really only be understood in light of the gospel. I'm going to say that word gospel. Don't worry, I'll unpack it. It can only be understood in light of the gospel because that is what Paul is writing in light of is um, the good news of Jesus Christ. I didn't have much in common with Paul. I don't think he was married. Some people maybe argue that, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't. Uh, mustaches weren't in, so he didn't have a mustache, most likely. Um, But the same gospel that changed his life is changing my life and many of your lives as well. So I may not have a ton in common with him, but I believe I am following the same God that changed Paul's life because of the gospel that, that he trusted and that I trusted as well. So I've already used this word gospel a lot. What do I mean whenever I say the word gospel? If you grew up in the church, You would have some version of answering that question, but 
Let's just pause right now. I want to give you the chance in your mind and in your heart, maybe even write down the answer to this question. What is the gospel? We're actually getting lunch today with Chad and his little girls. They were there, and we asked the four-year-old daughter, uh, hey, Anna Joy, what's the gospel? And she said, it's good news. And I thought that was so sweet and so genuine, and she's right. She's been studying her Greek. That's what it means, good news. Um, it means good news. But in order for there to be good news, there has to be bad news. The bad news is, is that God, he created all things. This is important tonight because this is what Paul's talking in, in light of. If you don't understand this part of the message, you'll miss the rest. Uh, there is bad news. The bad news is that God created all things perfectly. There was no sin. He created someone called Adam and someone called Eve. He gave them the choice to follow him. They did not follow him. Therefore, there was a riff in the relationship between God and man. God did not desire that to happen. So there's this riff in the relationship. There's separation. And God always had a plan that he would send someone, enter Jesus Christ. This is the good news part. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life in thought, word, and action. What that means is he was the perfect sacrifice. A lot of us come in here and we think, hey, if I just do enough good things, then I can go to heaven. The only problem with that the saddle love is the Bible. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that you and I, we are not good enough to bridge that gap I was talking about. That's why he sent his son Jesus. Perfect life, thought, word, action. His death on the cross, after living a perfect life, pays for our sins, reconciling us back to God. A lot of people, maybe whenever I ask the question, what's the gospel, you would have said Jesus dying on a cross. I would say, yeah. The gospel doesn't end there. He goes into a grave. This is important. He goes into the grave. Three days later, he gets out of the grave. That means you don't have to live in sin anymore because he has resurrection power. And whenever you accept that, that same power lives in you. That's the Holy Spirit. It, it comes to indwell within you. That's the full gospel that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, dies on a cross, goes into the grave, raises from the grave. If you trust him, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. See, the same gospel that changed Paul is changing many of us tonight, and that's important to understand before we get into this text. If you were here last week, you heard Chad talk a lot about walking by the Spirit. Paul doesn't move on really too much from that thought. He's going to keep that going. He's going to get practical again tonight. And this is what I want you to hear, that first half. It's all about that we've been justified by faith in Christ. That's what Paul's been teaching once you become right with God, his spirit moves inside of you so that you can live a life that's pleasing to God. Tonight's message is titled, The Gospel Changes Everything. Changes everything. If the gospel doesn't change everything, then why are we here? Like if it's all about just getting to heaven, then let's go home. But we believe that if this God's real and he actually got out of the grave, man, we cannot, we don't have to live in our sin. We can live free. And that's what Paul will talk about tonight. We'll see that he, he's going to talk about relationships will change in your life. He's going to talk about the things that you live for will change. And he will even say the things that you are confident about are going to completely change. Now we're ready to get into it. Galatians 6. So if you haven't been with us, the book of Galatians is, it's really actually a group of churches in a region called Galatia. He's writing this letter because there's people who have come in and they're teaching things. Actually, the exact reason, the, most of the stuff I've already been saying, he's addressing, he's saying that you can't add things to the gospel. The perfect gospel, that you are saved by grace alone through faith. 
They're adding things on top of that, and that's why he's writing the letter. And he's moved on. Chapter 5, last week, uh, Chad spoke about walking in the Spirit. And Paul, he doesn't move on. I'm actually going to read the last two verses in chapter 5, and then I'll teach all of 6 tonight. So let me read these two because it gives us the setup for chapter 6. This is what it says, 525. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Paul's saying if you live by the Spirit, verse 25, you will not become divided. You see that? Because 26, he says, let us not do these things, conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That's what naturally will happen if you're not living by the Spirit. Okay, 6-1, it goes on. Because naturally you would want to know, hey, Paul, I get that, but how do I do that? It's a great question. Paul will answer it right here. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, meaning those who walk by the Spirit, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is very precise what he's saying. He's saying you should go to the people who are not in step with the Spirit and have a conversation with them. And then he even gives some more handles on I'll come back to this. But that's what he's saying. He's saying go to those people and have a conversation. And he says keep watch on yourself. He's saying whenever you go, you need to watch yourself as well. Lest you too be tempted. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. A lot of people will read this text and think that it's like the book of Proverbs. Where he's just saying a bunch of random stuff. But he's not. It actually, it's one thread. He's, he's got one thread tonight. And what he's saying right there in those two verses, bear one another's burdens, what that is. If step one is to go to them, step two, you've got to assume you're going to bear the burden. Look, anybody can go and say some hard things. Not everybody's going, saying those things, and then walking with those people through that. That's what Paul's calling them to. Verse three says this, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, He deceives himself. It's real punchy. Verse 4. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Paul's point here isn't necessarily to boast in himself. He's not saying, hey, just uh, talk about how awesome you are. He's actually just pointing out you need to focus on yourself. That's what he's saying in those verses. Because, verse 5 tells us, why would he say that? For each will have to bear his own load. Spirit, point number one is spirit-led relationships versus flesh-led relationships. I say that because throughout the text, he is lacing this idea of walking by the spirit and walking by the flesh. And there will be differences in those things. He's very practical. He's very practical. Why is he practical? Because he knows this truth, that the gospel, it changes everything. It's got to change your relationships. That's what he's teaching. So he's talking about relationships in these verses. And I want to show you the difference between flesh-led relationships. When I say flesh, the Bible uses that as sinful nature, our natural nature. Some may call it worldly. There's different ways to talk about that. But Paul's using flesh, so I'm using flesh tonight. Flesh-led relationships. So let's talk about that. Verse 25 and 26, if you look back at your Bible, it says something about flesh-led relationships. They will be marked by this. It's division. Division. You see that in 25 and 26? conceited, provoking one another. There's division. They're not getting along well. Jesus actually taught this, um, that if there was like a core value of Satan's church or Satan's kingdom, it would be this, division. 
Like if you were to walk in, he'd be like, hey, we are about division. Like if, if Satan has two moves, his haymaker, his jab is lies and his haymaker is probably division. Like he's going to throw jabs of lies and he's going to try and knock people out with division. Where do I get that from? Luke 11, Jesus, he's teaching in verse 17. And he's teaching something and then he says to the crowd, but he knowing their thoughts, talking about Jesus, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And then he goes on to talk about Satan's kingdom, 18. And if Satan also is divided against himself, so Satan's divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Jesus is saying it ain't going to last. It's their core value, division. And Paul's saying, hey, if our relationships are marked by division, whose kingdom are we a part of? We should be marked by unity. We should be marked by unity. So I ask you right now in your life, think about five years ago. So if you're 28, when you were 23, who were the people that you hung out with? And why don't you hang out with them anymore? Was there anything you could have done to fix that relationship? Was it division? What are the things that mark your relationships today? Here's the other thing that's, that flesh-led relationships are marked by. They're inconvenienced by others' flaws. They're inconvenienced by other flaws. And you've heard this. I promise you have. That like, I know she's got issues, but I just do not have time for that right now. I just don't. Like I'm going through a lot myself, and I just, I can't. I cannot with that. Like I got to distance myself from her or him because he's got problems. And I'm not going to go have that conversation because that's difficult. They wouldn't say it's difficult. Um, but they just don't have time. They're inconvenienced. Typically, flesh-led relationships are marked by that. I just don't have time. And I, I, I just don't have time for that. See, love that does not sacrifice, that is not love. That's important to understand. If you are not sacrificing for people around you, you don't love the people around you. That's what the Bible teaches about love. But on the other hand, this, this passage is, is talking about spirit-led relationships as well. Look at verse 1. It's talking about restoration. Restoration, that's what spirit-led relationships should be marked by. That's, that's the word it uses. I'll read it again. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should do what? Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So right now in your life, just think about it. Like, am, am I seeking to restore people? I mean, I showed a picture of me playing baseball earlier, and I've had a few injuries on my arm and some other areas, and I think about what if I would have went to the trainer and he wasn't um, seeking to restore me? Like, he's like, hey, man, I just don't have time for that right now. And especially, imagine if I would have went to him and he didn't do it gently. Like, he just was like, hey, man, I know your arms hurt, so lay down, and then he starts, like, yanking my arm back. That'd be weird. And in the same way, if you're a brother or sister in Christ and we're not restoring one another, trying to get them on the other side of this thing they're going through, that is not loving. So how do you restore? I've already hinted at this. Spirit-led relationships should be marked by really these two things as well. Going to one another, not talking about one another. You go to them and you speak in gentleness. Verse 1, that's where I'm getting that. You need to go to people in a spirit of gentleness. Notice gentleness, that's a clear reference back to the fruit of the Spirit. 
He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit should mark you whenever you have these conversations. Because Paul knows so often um, we will have these conversations. And I don't know if you've seen this before, but I see it often. Someone talks to me, and I'm guilty of this as well. I go to someone trying to make them aware of what the Bible's saying, transgression or a fault or a sin. And if I am not in step with the Spirit, I will often try to prove myself in that moment. That's the flesh. But if I can rest in my identity in the gospel, because the gospel, remember, it changes everything. It should change how we handle these conversations, and we should be having these conversations. It should be gentle, because I'm walking in step with the the Spirit. And what that communicates whenever you do it gently, it communicates this, I'm going nowhere. Like, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not mad at you. I'm communicating Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I'm not mad at you, brother. I want you to know I love you. But if you keep doing this, if you keep living with that, that girl, or if you keep being around those people, man, this is where that ends up. And I'm just lovingly telling you, man, I'm not going to turn my back on you. But you've got to make a decision and repent and, and change your way of living. And let's do some things that are going to be hard today. But I promise you, Paul gets to this here in a second. You'll see it. Hard decisions today, you will see the result of them tomorrow. And this is the last thing. Spirit-led relationships bear one another's burdens. They bear one another's burdens. Verse 2 is where that says. Bear one another's burdens so you fulfill the law of Christ. Those are really two big things. We're covering a lot tonight. And he talks about bearing burdens. Whenever he says burden, what that means, that's different than verse 5 where it talks about a load. A burden is something that people are carrying that they should not be carrying on their own. Whether that's, um, maybe you've come in here, man, and you have just been through it lately. Whether it is a, a lost, uh, loss of a loved one, or uh, maybe you've lost job after job, and man, you cannot make ends meet. Whatever it is, that's a burden. And, and our role as believers, according to Paul, is to bear that burden with people. And he also says the law of Christ. And, and the law of Christ could be found in Matthew 22, where Jesus says um, to love one another sacrificially. To love one another regardless of if you're going to be loved back. That is fulfilling the law of Christ. That's what he's saying. So let us be marked by bearing burdens for one another. And I'd also just point this out. Man, this may be one of the most um, easy or clear ways to be Jesus to somebody. Think about this. Jesus saw us in our sin, our transgression. And he saw that we were carrying a burden that we had no business carrying. We couldn't carry it. He saw us from heaven, and then he came down. He moved towards us in a spirit of gentleness. Man, was God not gentle with you when he came into your life? And if you don't know this, God, let me tell you something, man. He is patient. He's kind. He is all these things. So whenever I think about going to have these types of conversations, what a gift. Because in that moment, I get to be Christ for one of my brothers. Paul, he's getting practical tonight, and he's going to pick back up in verse 6. That's what he says. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. We're not taking up an offering tonight. Don't worry about that. But uh, low-key, that is what he's talking about. 
um, that you are supposed to give to those who are teaching the Bible. I don't teach enough to be doing that anyway, but let me say this. Um, It says all things. I think we often will worry about like our checkbook in that moment. A lot of times what preachers and teachers of the word need is just to hear what God's doing in your life. Like if you could just share that, man, just send an email to that that guy that you hear teach the Bible, that would encourage them so much, and that's what Paul's saying. And this will sound in verse seven like he's moving on, but he's actually gonna keep that thought going. He says, do not be deceived. This is aggressive because he was just talking about teachers, and now he's gonna talk about God. He says, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That will he also reap. So how does that connect to what he was just saying? Well, he was talking about doing things and then reaping things, but then he's saying God is not mocked. What's the difference there? God literally knows every thought. He knows everything about us, every decision we make, but it's even more than that. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And I want to make sure this is clear. It doesn't even matter if you don't believe in in the Bible, what you believe. That is in the DNA of the world. It's in the fabric of everything. What you do today has consequences tomorrow. Like, it doesn't even matter if you don't believe anything I'm saying tonight. Like God has fashioned the world this way. Decisions today have consequences tomorrow. That's what he's saying. Verse eight, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from, from the flesh reap corruption. He's saying that if, if you make decisions, remember he's talking about flesh, so he's saying sinful decisions you make these decisions consistently that aren't in line with God's spirit, you will get a return. Really clear what the the return is here. What Paul's saying is that our sin, it has consequences. Okay, but it goes on, it says, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So yes, he, he comes at it hard after sin, but then he also says, if you walk by the spirit, you get eternal life. Then verse nine, he says, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Can you imagine how tired this church was? I mean, we got people trying to circumcise people at this church. I'd be exhausted, man. And he's saying, no, keep going. Keep keep pursuing the spirit. Keep walking in the spirit is what he's saying. And he's pointing them actually to a return that will come soon. In verse 10, he says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And I want to show you the comparing and contrasting here between spirit-led activity, and this is point number two, versus flesh-led activity. Because that's what Paul's doing, very clearly. In the text, he's saying, hey, this is what happens when you live like this, flesh-led and spirit-led. And I, I choose, chose the word activity because he's talking about sowing and reaping. Activity is um, things that you are doing. And he's talking about farming a lot. The Bible talks about farming a lot. That's hard because I don't know anything about farming. Um, but I've been around it more this last year than ever. I've shared this a little bit that I've spent some time overseas and I'm connected to some farmers. And uh, man, these dudes be talking about seeds a lot. <laughs> Uh, I was at a conference where they were like all together in this Central Asian country. Like I flew over there, had 24 hours of flights. And I sit in a three-day meeting about seeds. And I'm just like, what in the world is the deal with the seeds? Really what they're trying to do is like 
help farming and then they try to reach people with the gospel through farming. But by like six hours in, I'm, I'm just like, I lean over, I'm like, what's the deal with the seeds, man? Like, why are we so obsessed with like every little seed? And the farmers, they didn't really understand my honest question. Some of you are laughing because you understand, like, this is obvious. But if you get the seed wrong, you'll never get the crop you want. That's obvious. But for some reason, we don't think that applies to our life. Like, we don't think that the things that we're doing today, the seeds that we are planting in our life, will produce something, either corruption or eternal life. Like, that, that is what this text is saying. And I would say this is like, this is a law of the world. Decisions you make today will have outcomes tomorrow. And many of us, we just think this is an optional thing. And for me, man, when I came to Christ, this was a truth that I was just like, oh, you mean I don't have to like know how to be gentle today? Like I want to be gentle. I just, I ain't there yet, man. I'm just not good at that. Like I'm not, I'm not really kind yet. But what I did, I just made little decisions after little decisions after little decisions, and I'm just throwing seeds trying to make the right decisions every day. And slowly, I started to see those things grow in my life. And that's what he's saying. But let me show you here. Flesh-led activity is marked by this. It will produce corruption. I believe what Paul's saying here, and he says it, God will not be mocked. Why? Because he's made the world this way. We will reap the benefit of the seeds that we throw down in our life. If we choose to look at things on our phone consistently, I promise you, they will affect you. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like, but what the enemy does, he overpromises on sin and he always underdelivers on the outcome. The outcome is always corruption. But in that moment, man, it's just like you, you feel like you can't say no. And what Paul's saying, the decisions you make today, there will be consequences. And those consequences are corruption. What I encourage men to do is to get on the other side of their temptation in that moment. What I mean by this isn't like, hey man, just get over your sin struggles. What I mean is imagine in that moment of temptation, if you gave in, what are the, what are the consequences? Like, we don't realize it in the moment, but I've seen this enough. Like, I haven't even been in ministry that long, but I see this, like, just over and over. And we look at things that we shouldn't look at. And I'm, I'm going after pornography because I know the reality of that struggle in this room. We look at things on our phone, and we think, well, there, there won't be any consequences if I don't tell anyone. And you don't tell anyone. And then you get a little ashamed to come here because what the enemy does, it's almost like he's in your ear a little bit. Like he's like, hey, if they only knew, if they only knew the things that you did last night, they would be so ashamed of you. And the enemy's got a hold of you. And you don't think those decisions have um, corruption or will reap um, corruption, but they do. And, and those little nagging things will continue to happen. And then what happens is you get tired of showing up and hearing that in your head. You step out of any spiritual relationships that you have that are good for you because you're ashamed. And I'm here to tell you, if you have trusted that message I shared on the front end because Jesus got out of the grave, you don't have to look at those things. You can live by the Spirit. The Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is in you. 
You don't have to look at those things. Get on the other side of your temptation. And let me just share this. I always share this with men that I'm taking through premarital counseling. They're about to get married. And I always shoot them real straight, man. How is your purity? It's another ball game. When you're married, like you, you watch something when you're married, pornography, you're gonna have to confess that to your wife. And now you have a visual image of the brokenness of sin in the world because there's trust broken there. And trust me, our sin, it has consequences and it's corruption. Sin will be paid for in this life or the next. Spirit-led activity, this is the difference. The verse says eternal life is the fruit of spirit-led activity. And if you've come to know Christ, eternal life doesn't start when we show up to heaven. Did you catch that? Starts the moment you come to Christ. What do I mean by that? Because the Spirit is in you, you now have the things that are mentioned in chapter 5, Love, joy, peace, patience. Those things go with us into the kingdom of heaven and we experience those fully. So that means eternal life starts today. So what he's saying, when you sow seeds of like spiritual things, eventually love, joy, peace, all of that grows today, man. You don't have to live in your sin. You want actual contentment? Man, slowly just making those decisions, those deposits. What kind of deposits am I talking about? Dude, just read your Bible consistently. It's, it's, not, it's not hard. It's just making those decisions consistently, consistently, consistently. Getting up, reading the Word, even when sometimes you don't feel like it. Making a decision, like I'm going to surround myself with people who are good influences on my life. Those are sowing seeds to your spiritual life. Like even if you don't like have everything in common with those people, you know they're a better influence on you than the people you used to run with. Make that decision. Have a hard conversation. Hey man, I can't continue to be around you. I, I love you, but it's just, it, it affects me. We gotta make decisions today that give us the outcome to be the man or the woman of God that God has called us to be. That's what he's teaching. And I don't wanna miss this as well. The warning of verse 8 is followed by this promise that's more wonderful than my words do it justice. There are no words. I don't have the vocabulary. No man has ever lived that has the vocabulary of the things that are to come. If we think that heaven is us, like, it's not going to be whack, man. <laughs> you have misunderstood this whole thing if you think that heaven is going to be whack. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. This is after he's talking about love, one of the fruits of the Spirit. And he finishes with this, and this is that fulfillment of love. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. He's saying there's going to be a day that we're going to get to heaven, that we'll see the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There won't be sin, there won't be sickness, there will not be gun violence. None of that will be there. And you will see Jesus eye to eye. And trust me, you'll know what you should live for in this moment. You're going to wish that you would have sowed seeds to the spiritual life today. Paul, he goes on and he finishes his letter this way. I love what he says here, verse 11. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you 
with my own hand. So that means he like took the pen. So what, what people believe is that he literally took the pen or what they were writing with and he started to write now. And he writes it in big letters. So whatever he's about to say, brother's passionate about. That's what he says. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. What does that mean? Why is he so passionate about this part? Because these men, what they're doing is they're trying to get people to add things to the gospel. He's, he's circled this idea the whole book, but he's, he's like, let me make it really clear and put it in big letters. Don't give in. Don't add anything to the gospel. Don't make this thing by faith through grace and make it about religion, about doing the right things and, and following these certain things. And this is important because he goes on, he says in verse 13, for even those who are circumcised, he's saying the, the ones that are trying to get you to do that, they don't even keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And I think what Paul's saying here is that it's almost like they're in this echo chamber of like religion where it's like, hey man, we gotta go out and we gotta get these people to be circumcised because they're an issue. And then it's almost like they're getting another notch in their belt for every person they can convince you need to add things to the grace of God. And Paul's saying, no, they're completely missing the entire point. And then he gives you the point right here in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Did you catch that? Are you, are you looking at the Bible right there, verse 14? I mean, think about what he's saying. He just said, the thing that I boast in is an execute, a torture, like a, a torture instrument, the cross. That would be like me standing up here and saying, man, I boast in the electric chair. You know what's crazy about that? If you and I were at the cross the day that Jesus was crucified, we would have cried. I mean, it was so ugly to watch a man hang on a cross, to be pierced, to have a crown of thorns, to be whipped before he even went, to actually pick up that cross and walk it up the hill that he was going to be crucified on. And he says he boasts in that? What is that? Like, what is he saying here? That, that's odd, gang. What's he talking about? He boasts in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Point number three is spirit-led confidence versus flesh-led confidence. Paul's saying some, some bold statements here. And I chose the word confidence. He uses the word boast. And whenever he says the word boast, what that means, it would have been a good Greek translation of that would have been like a war cry. Like this is the thing, if you were to go to battle, that's what he means by this is my boast. Like this is the thing that I'm going to chant. When I stand against my enemy, that's what it is. And I think the word confidence would be better there. I think the word confidence fits there. Because he's saying that that's the thing that I point to 
whenever the enemy comes after me. That's where my confidence is. He's saying that my confidence is in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the, I haven't shared this from the stage, um, but I used to work in business for a couple years before I started doing this job at Abundant Life. And whenever I was working at this job, I came in and there was like five of us at this company. And whenever I came in, it was like a sales job. And for whatever reason, the company grew and I got to grow with this company. So like the company explodes. Several men in this room work at that company today. Just crazy. Crazy to see it grow like that. And I, I watched this company grow and then God's working in my life and I'm really trying to figure out like, man, what is it that God has called me to do in my life? And then slowly but surely, a door opens up to come on staff here. Not that the goal is to be on staff. The goal is to be obedient, whatever that looks like for you. But for me in my life, it was clear that was my next step. To be honest with you, I had financial security for the rest of my life. Like I wouldn't have to worry about money. And I don't share that to boast in any way in that. But they asked me my last day, I don't know why to this day, why they asked me to do this. They said, hey, will you share why you're going to do this? And I was like, you want me to share about why I'm going to do this? And they're like, yeah, go ahead and share. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to share. You know that, right? And they're like, yeah, do it. Okay. So I stood before this room, and for about 10 minutes, I just said the gospel. I shared the gospel with them, and I said, man, if you believe this, there is no sacrifice too great. It's almost like I'm more confident, and Paul's more confident in the gospel than anything else. And that's what I was trying to articulate to those guys. I was so confident that if Jesus actually died, and I'm confident that he did, there's no sacrifice too great. That this will be the boast of my life. We all will die. Let's be clear. That is a common denominator in this room. What you give your life to, you will give your life to something. What you're going to give your life to, be sure it's strategic because you only get so many days. But let's talk about the confidence of this world. There's, there's a complete difference. And I remember sharing that day and in that room, the, some of the people in this room, man, like there's some guys I knew they were like, man, they, they were Christian men that were partnering with me in, in the ministry that was going on at that business. And... Uh, they were just like, yeah, man, this makes sense in the speech. But then some of the men that like didn't know Christ, they could not reconcile this. I mean, it just made no sense to them. They're like, you're telling me that you're walking away from this career, this career that gives you stability? Like, you don't have to worry about anything, man. Why would you do this? They, they just couldn't reconcile it. I'm talking about like bawling. But then some of my best friends are in that room. And they're just looking at me like, man, do it. Do it, man. Run after it. If God's calling you to do it, do it. Because, man, we know that's your confidence. And what I found out that day, and what Paul's talking about, flesh-led confidence, it's marked by this. Look what I did. That's the thing that marks it. It's, look what I did. That's what our life's going to be about. 
Like whenever anything bad happens in somebody's life who doesn't walk in the Spirit, you will point to the things that you are doing, period. You're going to point to your career, your success, all the things that you have given your life to, you will point to those things. We all point to something. We think that this is weird, but we do this, man. And we do this in the church as well. Let's be honest. Like, like the thing that I'm most confident in at times in my life is some of the gifts that God gave me. That's weird that God has given me a gift to do certain things. And then I'll be more confident in the gift than actually the one who gave me the gift. That's completely misunderstanding it. And I'm robbing him of the glory that he deserves. Some of us, man, like we serve and then like we'll take pictures of it and post it on social media and then it becomes about us and we're robbing him of the glory that's his. Man, I want my confidence to be in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want him to get the glory. It's almost like I just want to be this mirror that I'm just like, if you want to give me glory, I just want to reflect it right at God. Like, hey man, I don't deserve this. It's a gift that was given to me and I am not the one, it was given to me. That's so odd to me. That my, my flesh, my sinful nature wants to take that gift and say, look what I did. That's wrong. And I think some of us, maybe this is the first time you've come back to the church because you saw that in the church. That it wasn't about God, it was actually about people. And you're like, man, I don't want anything to do with that. And what you did, you rebelled. And now you're running after your success. And you think if you get to six figures, you'll be good. And you're wrong. Listen to me. There is a God-sized hole in every one of our hearts. And there's only one thing that can fit it, and it's God. No paycheck, no girl, no guy, no car, no house, no lifestyle will fulfill you. It won't. It's not about what you did. If your confidence is in what you do, you have misunderstood the Bible. Spirit-led confidence is marked by this. Look what Christ has done and is doing. Notice I said, and is doing on this point, because I don't want to rip him off of what he's doing through me or he's doing through you, because he's using some of you in this room. And trust me, if you don't know him, he wants to use you. Don't give your life to that job. Go work that job and give him the glory in the job and let him use you right where he has you. Look what he did on the cross and look what he's doing through you. Paul, he would have done already so much for the gospel. He would have planted so many churches, and that's his confidence, is in the cross. Talk about humble, man. See, when you come to Christ, and this is the thing, and he says this in the text right there, when you come to Christ, you have to die to the world. You have to come to the realization that I don't care anymore what everyone around me thinks about me. It doesn't matter anymore. Why? Because I've already heard what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords thinks about me in his son dying on a cross. He wants me. He wants a relationship with me. And he wants that same thing for you. Do not be distracted. Do not be deceived. Look what Christ has done and what he's doing. You will boast in something. It's a given. You're going to find your confidence in something. The question is, what are you going to have your confidence in? You're going to give your life to something. The question is, what are you going to give your life to? What is that thing, man? Like, you gotta have it. You gotta have it. And whenever you get it, man, you made it. And you're wrong. I'm here to tell you, you are wrong. Your boast, your confidence is in Christ and Him crucified. 
And when the enemy attacks you, what you point to will determine the outcome. You think the enemy's uh, scared of my self-discipline? He ain't. You think he's scared of uh, just some things I know how to do, some blockers on my phone in that moment of temptation? No, he ain't scared of that. He's scared of the one who already beat him. That's the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords has already defeated the enemy. So whenever the temptation comes my way, the spirit-led thing to do is to go the cross. Like, hey, hey I'm not strong enough. For real, I'm never going to be strong enough. And a lot of times, whenever I counsel men, I'm like, hey man, what's your plan? And like Jesus never comes out of their mouth. I'm just like, bruh, you're missing it. Like he he got out of the grave, for real, for real. That happened, man. Like let's not play games. And if he comes out of the grave, we're free. Like we don't have to live in sin. We don't have to give our life to those things. You don't have to give your life to the approval of the world. You are free. We're talking about freedom in Christ tonight. You want to be free? Put your trust in the gospel, the whole gospel, not just half. The real thing, the thing that can give you the contentment, the joy, the love, the peace, the gentleness, the self-control that can only happen when the Spirit of God comes inside of you. And Paul, he's finishing the same way he started, gang, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The central message of the Bible from beginning to end is that Jesus Christ, he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants something better for you. The gospel, it changes everything. I had no clue how much it was going to change me. But man, am I glad it did. Am I glad that there's a God who saw me in my sin and he came to me in gentleness and he restored me. I didn't deserve that. We don't deserve it. You better believe that every sacrifice you make is worth it. The gospel, it'll change your relationships. It'll change the reward you're seeking. And it will definitely change the thing that you have confidence in. Tonight, we're gonna finish with a song. Maybe you heard it before. And it's literally from these verses. And if you're in here, Whenever we sing these verses, I just want you to be honest in your heart and in your mind. Is my boast in Jesus Christ on a cross like my confidence, man? Like I just want you to know tonight you can be free. You don't have to be a slave to your sin. You can have healthy relationships that are marked, to, marked by restoration, man. Like we don't have to have a new set of friends every five years. <laughs> like God wants healthy relationships. He wants you to have the reward of eternal life. He wants you to walk in the spirit and he wants you to have confidence in him because he's the only thing that can get you through whatever you're going through. Let's pray. Father, thank you just for who you are. Thank you for your goodness to us. And thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving the people in this room that you already have saved. Father, I pray that you would do the thing that only you can do. My words don't have power to change a man's heart. Only you do. So, Father, would you do that now? That as we sing this response song, that we would take a hard evaluation. If we can sing this with integrity. Father, thank you that mercy spoke for us 2,000 years ago. When you hung on a cross, you bled, you died. You died 
He rose from the grave. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on that and nothing else. Help us to walk in the spirit. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.